Vox Quick Hits. My first job was in book publishing. I got a job at a literary agency, but eventually I got a job at one of the big five publishers, Hachette. In publishing, there's only a few houses, and it seems like they're always consolidating. There's not a lot of places to go if you want to professionally publish a book. I got a job in business books, which was slightly ironic because I did not care about business, but I sure did care about books. And over the time that I worked there, I ended up finding myself so frustrated by the business end of publishing that it sort of drove me to leave the industry. We would publish celebrity books. We would pay them a ton of money and they wouldn't sell anything. We would work with writers who I know I certainly had basic disagreements with ideologically. We were always told as editorial assistants or assistant editors, which is the highest rank that I ever reached, that we were really lucky to be there and that anybody would be willing to take our place. So it's a pretty fraught industry, and I'm pretty interested in what's happening as younger staffers in their ranks start to organize and respond to the types of books that are being published. Yeah, and your story kind of sounds like what we're actually talking about today, which is this kind of ongoing reckoning between the younger staffers at publishing houses versus the old guard of people who are just like, yeah, sure, Mike Pence will give him a bajillion dollar book deal and it'll sell because they're kind of out of touch. They're not listening to their younger staffers. But here to obviously explain this all and tell us more is Vox book critic and senior reporter Constance Grady. Hi, Constance. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Constance, Tell us about this Mike Pence thing, because this seems to be like the center of what's happening right now in book publishing. Yeah. So in April, Simon & Schuster announced that they had a two book deal with Mike Pence. And within hours of this announcement, there starts to be this incredible outrage from people on staff. They start circulating a petition. They send it out not just to fellow staffers, but also to prominent authors, some of them for Simon & Schuster, some of them elsewhere basically calling for Simon & Schuster to, first of all, cancel Mike Pence's book deal, and second of all, make a commitment to never make a book deal with any other members of the Trump administration. A few weeks after they send out this petition, they deliver it to Simon & Schuster management. The next day, the New York Times reports that they also have a book deal with Kellyanne Conway. So kind of the opposite of what the staff was asking for. And since then, there's continued to be this back and forth where Simon & Schuster management will say, you know, we think that Mike Pence deserves to tell his story and this is a good business decision for us. And the staffers will say, well, Mike Pence is someone who made the world a worse place for a lot of marginalized people. Why are we devoting our resources to helping him and helping his story be heard? Constance, it seems like there's been a few of these instances lately of staffers um, reacting strongly to contracts in place. Uh, Can you tell us about a couple of the others? So probably the most public one was what happened with the Woody Allen book last year. Um, Hachette announced that it was going to publish Woody Allen's memoir, Apropos of Nothing, and there was a huge, huge outcry, especially because one of Hachette's authors at another imprint is Ronan Farrow, who is, of course, Woody Allen's son. And his book, Catch and Kill, is in part about how the accusations that Woody Allen had molested his daughter, Ronan's sister, Dylan Farrow, had really torn their family apart. And Ronan Farrow was really outraged. The staff was really outraged. A lot of them said that this was jeopardizing a really important authorial relationship for them. They walked out. They staged a walkout from their company. Um, And eventually Hachette did drop 
Woody Allen's memoir, and it ended up going instead to the independent press Skyhorse Publishing, which has kind of made a cottage industry of picking up these books. Where are most of these kind of tensions taking place? Is it coming from like Twitter or like outside media pressure? There is a lot of anger happening on Twitter. Sometimes you see um, like phone call campaigns. I was just talking to people who worked with or used to work at the imprint Dutton, which published Linda Fairstein's books for a long time. Linda Fairstein was the prosecutor in the case of the Central Park jogger. Um, And after Ava DuVernay's series, When They See Us, about that case came out, apparently the phone lines were just flooded with calls, like the customer service line. People ended up somehow getting the phone number to the Penguin Random House CEO, Madeline McIntosh, and just calling her directly on her line to be like, why are you supporting this woman? So there's a lot of external pressures when it comes to difficult authors, but there's also internal pressures from sort of what people are describing to me as a generational gap between younger, mostly junior staffers who may or may not have that much power within the workplace, but who see certain authors as sort of beyond the pale people that publishing should not be devoting its resources to helping. And then higher up at the executive level, you have much older, more established publishers who are sort of like, well, this is the way business is done. This is just how the industry works. Yeah. Constance, here's a question. Like, what's really at stake here these days? With self-publishing, it seems like, you know, anyone could publish a book at any time. What's so important about being published by a house? Yeah. And this is a question that I think is really important because a lot of time this debate will sort of get sidetracked into like a free speech issue. Like, If you're trying to get rid of someone's book contract, that's censorship. But of course, you know, publishing houses turn down books every single day and no one calls that censorship. That's just called like having editorial standards, right? No one has a First Amendment right to a book deal. What a major publishing house can offer is legitimacy and a platform. They have a marketing budget. They will sell your book for you. But a lot of these figures don't really necessarily need a publishing house to sell their books for them. They are mostly very famous. That's why people are mad at the idea of selling their books. And they can reach an audience on their own. So Don Jr., Trump's son, recently self-published his own book um, because, well, There's a lot of of rumors flying around about whether he got any interest from publishing houses or not. But, you know, the fact remains it would have been an uncomfortable fit probably had he gone the traditional publishing route and he didn't really need to. It seems like this is kind of raising some existential questions where like, is the role of the publishing industry just to make as much money as possible or is it to utilize those editorial judgments that we expect from book publishing. I think that's a great way of summing up the debate here. Um, There are a lot of varying arguments getting thrown around as to, you know, should a publisher ever look into someone's public life or look into someone's private life and say, no, we're not going to publish this. Um, Or is that just kind of like none of the publisher's business and it shouldn't matter. Um, But the fact is there's always a line, right? Like if a child molester were to write a book about their child molesting, you wouldn't want to publish that. So the really the question is where the line is drawn and and who gets to draw it. And for the most part, it seems as though people in positions of power in publishing want to keep the line sort of where it always has been and say that if someone reaches a level of state power within the U.S., then 
anything they have to say is legitimate. It's part of the historical record. It's something that needs to be recorded and heard and preserved. So, Constance, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this quote from Jonathan Karp, who's the publisher of Simon & Schuster. After the Pence controversy, he said, We come to work each day to publish, not cancel, which is the most extreme decision a publisher can make, and one that runs counter to the very core of our mission to publish diversity of voices and perspectives. And my question is, is this like a very funny joke that he's making? Because obviously there's a ton of stuff that doesn't get published by definition. Yeah, so I think this goes back to the idea that these controversial figures are somehow being censored, right? I think this is something that gets trotted out a lot as a justification for why once a publisher has given a contract, it can't say, oh, you know, maybe we made a bad choice there. Um, This is something that I think a lot of times progressive protesters have had to be very, very careful about talking around. One thing that comes to mind is the American Dirt controversy in 2020. That was a case where a book had already been published and come out and was being reviewed in the New York Times when it started to become an issue that this book about Mexican migrants was not written by a Mexican author. And according to Chicano reviewers, she had kind of done a really, really terrible job at trying to imagine that perspective. And this whole, whole sort of movement developed around the question of this book. Uh, Dignidad Literaria grew up around it. That's sort of like a literary political activism Latino advocacy group. Um, And they had to be so careful to repeat again and again, we are not questioning this book's right to exist. We are advocates of free speech. Don't take it out of print. Don't cancel her book tour. Like, we want all of that to keep going. We just want to be able to criticize this book and the system that allowed it to get this far without anyone ever saying this has some issues with it. I think that... It's almost a kind of bad faith straw man argument that keeps getting trotted out by people who just want to keep preserving the system the way that it is and never make any changes and try to allow new voices the ability to speak. The American Dirt controversy was so interesting because of the incredible marketing muscle that was put behind that book, which is incredibly unusual in book publishing. There's like I don't know. I was trying to look up how many books are published each year before we got in here, but there's thousands of books published each year. Millions. Millions. <laughs> I've I've looked into this because I was trying to figure out like how possible it was to read all of them and it is <laughs> well, and not. Reading all, <laughs> read the, all books. the books. You cannot read all Turns the books. Turns out you But cannot. like six of them get the kind of marketing push that American Dirt got or that something like Mike Pence's book would likely get. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole raft of authors below that who don't see this kind of attention, this kind of promotion and who, as a result, you know, maybe don't sell a ton of books and don't get to sell other books in the future. Uh, so it seems like a real question of just like what, you know, what is the the utility of a publishing house? What is the utility of a marketing department? And what does it really mean to be published in America as a non-already famous person? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Uh, during the American Dirt controversy, I spoke to this author, Parakista Kakpur, uh, who's an author of color. And she said, I know one author of color who's gotten a seven-figure advance, and that was in the 90s. And Janine Cummings, the author of American Dirt, did get a seven-figure advance. And an important thing to note here is that the advance is linked to the publishing budget. So the higher your advance, the higher the budget for marketing, the higher the budget for publicity. Books that publishers pay authors a lot of money for, they have a huge investment in making that a really, really big success. If 
you're looking at a book by a person of color and you're like, oh, I'll throw $10,000 at this author, that book is kind of going to get buried. You're not really going to spend the time or the money or invest the resources that it would need to become a bestseller. Constance Grady is a culture writer and book critic for Vox. You can find her podcast series, Ask a Book Critic, here on the Vox Quick Hits feed. And you can find her story about who deserves a book deal on Vox.com.